Hello, everyone, and a warm, warm welcome to another episode of the What's Going On podcast. We're not in the studio today. We have some issues with our studio this week, so actually we're recording it uh, from home. But how's everything in life? It's good. Yeah. A lot of shit going on. Been busy. Yeah. But enjoying life, man. Happy days. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. For sure. Both of us have been really busy, but now we're back again and I'm actually going to move in a few weeks. So then we're going to live like one minute away from each other. And say how close you're going to be. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy, actually. We're basically going to see each other's doors from our, from our home. <laughs> That's like insane. It's <laughs> like we, we're going to live together almost. <laughs> Ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. But it's going to be amazing. And hope everything is well with all you listeners. We have some really big guests going on, actually. If you don't follow this podcast, make sure to do it. And we would love if you could give us a rating on Spotify, depending on what you think about a podcast. Apple Podcasts as well. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Follow us. You can find us everywhere where we should be. So make sure to do that. And we have to dig right into what happened this weekend. It was actually a few really big games going on. But the obvious one that we have to talk about, first off, I don't think anyone missed it. It was actually Liverpool facing Manchester United. A really big game. The talk before the game was that this was going to be an even game. But it ended up being a painful night for the Manchester United fans. Yeah, man. I've not been looking forward to talking about that game. Very painful evening. After the game, I just sat on the couch for like an hour. No music. No TV, just didn't know what to do with myself. My brother called me, we spoke about the game. <laughs> I went for a walk around the neighborhood. Oh, you did? Yeah, I just had to clear my mind. Man. <laughs> <laughs> it was an emotional one for you. It was tough. It was tough. Yeah. Such a shit way to start the week. Sunday evening, getting ready for the week. Not the best energy going on before getting into a new week. I can understand that. For a Manchester United fan, it, it was quite a long time ago since you had a really big loss and that you were disappointed on the way the team performed. So it also like backlashed big time. I mean, a lot is bad performance was against Man City and that must have been in October or something so I mean it's been quite a while you know since we had a bad game I do think 7-0 flatters Liverpool quite a bit yeah I thought United were best in the first half but capitulated in the second half if you look at Liverpool's expected goals it was only 2.9 and they only had eight shots on target to get seven goals from eight shots on goal and a 2.9 xg it is an overperformance that was also what I felt when I watched the game because I thought it was quite quite an even game in the first half. I think actually it could have been a draw going into the dressing room after the first half. Yeah, it could. United could even have been ahead. Rashford had that pretty big chance. Bruno had the header which went just past the post. Liverpool didn't really have any chances other than the goal. Nah, exactly. I didn't see that turnaround coming. At halftime, I thought the game was going to end up being a draw. It almost looked like the team gave up after 2-0. Yeah. Which was disappointing. Like everyone kind of lost their composure and just the way the players switched off. I thought it was alarming. Yeah, but it's also the hectic schedule they've had. I think it also paid out here you can see that these players they've been running and they've been fighting for that shirt for like so many games and when they felt like the game was over they didn't have the energy left to defend the goal basically i think fatigue is a big factor united have played twice a week without exception since december 21st which is like three days after the world cup final right? yeah and a lot of the players actually went far in the world cup as well exactly so i mean a lot of a lot of players have been playing like a crazy amount of games yeah insane this autumn and this early spring hey, ridiculous that's 21 games in 75 days it's an insane amount fixtures were bound to catch up unfortunately for United fans and players it wasn't Sunday against your biggest rival but Liverpool just looked 100 times fresher but don't you think it was uh, more nice that you got this loss against Liverpool instead of like losing to uh, a smaller team or a team that are not that much better than you I know what you mean but at the same time you know losing to your rival like that is painful yeah I understand that I understand that I think the game should have ended like 3-0 to Liverpool that would have been like a fair result 7-0 is like ugh, it didn't mirror the game in my opinion yeah not at all not at all man nah United were just a second too late a yard too late 
relate to everything in the second half. Yeah. Decision-making was poor. Intensity was poor. And you could just see the squad isn't deep enough to compete on four fronts. There's been such a good atmosphere going on in the team, but it's been talking to media about Bruno Fernandes, his behavior on the pitch, basically. Even the media, they actually discussed if he was actually going to be uh, the second captain of Manchester United. Today, Eric Ten Hag actually came out and said he is. Yeah, exactly. I think Marcus Rashford also said that he felt 100%, 100% uh, trust in Bruno. But I can also understand Bruno that he was frustrated with himself, with his teammates, and that it was just like, you know, with all these cameras on them, every little gesture, there will be problems. So, so I think it was like unfortunate in that way too. Yeah, that for sure. I saw some little interview Rio Ferdinand did with Bruno a couple of weeks ago, and Bruno was saying, yeah, he understands like his body language sometimes comes across as bad when he's throwing his arms up in the air and so on, but that's how he is. And often it's not because he's whining, but that's just how his gestures are. But to the media, when you're watching, like it doesn't look that good, right? When someone throws their arms up in the air. So I do think he does need to channel some of that frustration into being more encouraging and positive instead of throwing his hands up in the air. So I think that's something that he should change. Definitely, definitely for sure. I'm 100% sure that in many places in the Premier League, that but with Manchester United the media want to catch every, every little story that they can get you know they're trying to read off like body languages they don't they don't know Bruno they don't know the team they don't know his gestures and so on so I, I think also this is a bit silly I think it's blown out of proportion yeah and it was also like really good from Ting Hag to uh, to defend him and also that Marcus Rashford came out as his teammate and saying like we 100% believe that he's our captain when uh, Harry is not playing yeah no 100% the only part that really annoyed me was I don't know if you remember that moment but it was like when he was trying to tackle Bicetic and then he got past him and then Bruno actually stopped chasing him like he just stood like it looked like yeah, he, exactly. he literally just gave up in that moment uh, yeah, yeah and that was a disappointing part when you have that armband you should be the guy who fight for in every single duel that's the thing and normally he doesn't yeah he's such a fighter he's insanely consistent in his whole career he's missed two games due to injury it's crazy it feels like that man he, he can run like forever and he never get injured I'm really impressed with him as a player and I think he definitely got what it takes to be the captain of Manchester United I thought that was a good one but um something that wasn't that good was uh, Casemiro he didn't look 100% fit when he's not playing or when he's not like on his top top level you can see like how dependent Eric Ten Hag's team actually are that he will perform well when he struggles or when he's not playing it affects the team a lot do you agree with me Hey, totally. I do think United are too dependent on him. No Casemiro, no party. And I do think he's the most important player by far. If he's not there, I'm worried. But unfortunately, he had a, definitely his worst game in a United shirt. And uh, it did look like he was a little bit injured. You know, in the beginning of the game, I remember, you know, they zoomed in on him. He looked like he was struggling. Yeah. He wasn't moving the way he normally does. I got a little I, bit worried, but... Um, yeah, you can see from the way, like, he, he run, I think. It didn't feel, like, as smooth as it normally does. That definitely contributed. Because we're in top form, you don't concede seven. No, I, I, I don't think so either. There's been, like, some struggling... Uh, for Manchester United away from home against these like big teams. Only won one out of seven away games against the top 11. It seems like Eric yeah. Tenag hasn't really found a way that suits us yet in those games. Especially away from home because I feel like the, you're really like strong uh, on Old Trafford against these big, big teams. Old Trafford, you'd expect us to beat anyone almost. Yeah, exactly. It feels like that. City, like, Barca. I mean, we've beaten both of them in the last couple of weeks at Old Trafford. But away, something needs to change. If they improve that, that can be the difference between winning the league and, and ending up third or fourth in the league. 100%. Me and you went to watch Liverpool against Man United at Anfield in 2016. Yeah. And that was actually United's last win at Anfield. That's quite crazy because I actually thought like it always feels like United playing terrible against uh, Liverpool away from home. And that was a, quite a while ago. It's not 10 years ago, but it's like... Seven. Seven. Seven years ago. It was January uh, 2016, I think. Yeah, uh, January 2016. It feels like ages ago. You know, it was it was Rooney scoring the goal. And since then, United have actually only scored one goal at Anfield. Nah. Yeah. No, you gotta be kidding. Nah, man. One goal at Anfield since then. Like, 
No. Mo Salah has gotten more yellow cards for taking his shirt off, celebrating against United, than <laughs> that United have scored at Anfield in that time. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> it's a tough place to go, Anfield. Very tough place to go. And yeah, definitely. It definitely is. Type of stadium you can't show any type of weakness. Talking about Manchester United being strong at home at Old Trafford, you know, Liverpool, they are also really strong at home at Anfield. Even though they're having a bit of a worse season than what they had in previous years, but still, they're really, really strong. There are fans behind them and super impressive it really is on the topic of Anfield like I saw on Twitter over the weekend after the United game yeah there was a clip circulating of Mikel Arteta from the Arsenal all or nothing series he was speaking about a term in cycling where a cyclist is going up a hill and looks amazing and then suddenly they look like they're stuck and they can't continue he said it's called Tajara in Spanish yeah and he said he had it once at Anfield where he could only see red shirts flying around the game was passing him by couldn't react he couldn't do it emotionally physically he couldn't cope at all and he said he's only had the feeling once in his career and that was at Anfield okay so it is it is a tough place for players it's a tough ground good team good fans difficult stadium to play on yeah it is i mean intense intense our experience there was amazing six story you won those tickets yeah yeah it's crazy like this like instagram competition when instagram was like really new and the type of competitions that you see nowadays like all over instagram i had to like motivate a number that meant something to me and they wanted me to relate it to liverpool as a football club and then i had a an instagram friend a swedish guy who played for liverpool so i dedicated his like shirt number and then we won tickets we on the flights and also the hotel and we get to hang out with the swedish legend that played in liverpool called glenn the Swedish guys out there, you know who he is. But for you international listeners, you can Google that guy. He was crazy as a player. We met him, we had a few beers with him, then just strolled around Liverpool. A really nice city. So recommend you, for those of you who haven't been there, to go. It was a crazy atmosphere and also like a really pleasant city to visit also. I was surprised by how nice the city was actually. Yeah, it was actually like pretty. I thought it would look like quite shitty. <laughs> That's what you hear, right? You hear northwest of England, Manchester, Liverpool aren't the nicest cities. I really like the city, to be fair. Yeah, yeah. I enjoyed it. Alfred's Dock or something? Alfred's Docks. I think this whole factory looking building in the water and now they have restaurants movie theaters and so on really cool experience but crazy that Manchester United haven't won <laughs> at Anfield since that game it feels yeah. like ages ago we were like 20 now we're almost 30 so yeah, insane, man. <laughs> but you have to say Liverpool were better in, in every department of the game and Salah you know he showed his class and also like I think Cody Gakpo he's been improving a lot the last few games he's been showing why Liverpool pays such a big amount for him to come to northwest of England it really looked like this was the performance where he said okay I've arrived sometimes players need that one top game to announce their arrival Luka Modric when he came to Madrid the game at Old Trafford when they knocked United out he scored that insane goal before that he hadn't been playing that well he had that game and then since then the rest is history yeah it's what we in Sweden call the ketchup effect when you don't have that much ketchup left and then you smash it and then all the ketchup gets out when you score that first goal uh, everything starts to happen I think that will be the case for Gakpo I think he was struggling a bit but now he gained some confidence and I think he will be playing better here and when a team is playing well it's also easier to play well yeah exactly way easier to be part of a team that's playing well than to come in to a team that's performing bad it's really hard to stand out then you have to be something else yeah for sure for sure as a United fan what, what do you think that United will go from here then I'm confident that this is just a blip luckily our next league game is against Southampton we'll be back on track I don't think it's anything to be too worried about no exactly you know you have to see the big picture yeah take a step back look where United were a year ago absolute turmoil already won one trophy this season sitting comfortably in top four knocked Barcelona out of the Europa League one of the favorites for the Europa League and the FA Cup big picture things are good and I don't think you can draw too many conclusions from this game you know we just collapsed I think every Manchester United fan should trust in Eric Ten Hag in Eric we trust you know this mean thing I feel that you should think in that way because Manchester United got something really good going on and uh, if you're not only looking at 
at this specific game, which ended up in a terrible way, of course. But um, Manchester United are on such a good run compared to where they, where they were like only like a few months ago. That's the thing. Just have to relax, not get too emotional about this, even though it hurts as a fan, of course. Yeah, exactly. But now we're talking on the pitch, but something that's actually been, from my side at least, even, even though I'm not a Manchester United supporter, but the whole like ownership structure is like quite uncertain how it's going to be. The two main bidders, just to give context to those who haven't kept up, one is Sheikh Yassim, who's connected to the Qatari state, chairman of the Qatari Islamic Bank. Yeah. Billionaire from Qatar. And then there's also Sergio Ratcliffe, who's the richest person in the UK. And he owns yeah. Ineos. And he was planning on buying Manchester United through Ineos. The reports now are that those two bids have passed the first round of bidding and are starting to enter serious negotiations. But there's also been a lot of rumors the last days that Joel and Avram Glazer are reluctant to sell the club. And since those rumors came out, we've actually seen the share price drop by a total market value of 1.2 billion US dollars. Wow. So that's massive. And that kind of shows that the market feels there's a real possibility that the Glazers might actually stay on and also how detrimental the Glazers staying on is to the future prospects of the club. Precarious situation. And it'll be really interesting to see how it pans out. Who would you uh, prefer then if you could choose? That's a tough one. I definitely want the Glazers out. And I'm not a fan of like a state running my club, be it a Western state, Middle Eastern state, whatever. When you're owned by a state, your club kind of gets intertwined with anything that state does. But I do actually think if the Qataris take over, I have a feeling there won't be that much like backlash because I think for most fans, the relief of the Glazers going will outweigh any negative feelings about who takes over. The fan base is quite split from like what I'm seeing. A lot of people who just, you know, they want rich owners in, they want to be able to buy Kylian Mbappe next window. <laughs> they want all of that. And then there's those who maybe don't want a state that's been linked with human rights abuses, owning the club. In modern football today, you always have to have those two thoughts in your head. As a Newcastle fan, I can understand that you think it's really nice that you can sign like big players and the, that the, the media talk about Newcastle again. But also like you you have to be able to like have two thoughts in your head and also think like, okay, but where's, where's this money actually coming from? Yeah, that's the thing. And I mean, so out of those options, I'd prefer Sergio Macliffe, Manchester-born, big fan as well. And the thing is, United don't need that sugar daddy money anyway. The club generates so much money. So the main thing is just having an owner that doesn't take money out of the club. And as long as, you know, Sergio Macliffe does that, then the club will be more than good. He's quite rich also, so he don't need to do that. <laughs> yeah, and it's also, he, he's a local man. Then I think he got like more feelings also for Manchester United and won't do that. For sure. If the Glazers don't sell, I think it will be absolute carnage. They've gone so far into teasing the fans, into thinking they're selling. So I think if they decide not to, it won't even be worth it for them. The reaction will be way worse than any protests that have happened so far. It's going to be really interesting. And I mean, although this is the first time since Alex Ferguson retired, where it's looked like United might be up to something, I might even actually have some short or medium term success. I'm convinced that there'll be no long term success with the Glazers as owners. I think it's an ended chapter. You just have to to break up with them. They have to go. We've touched upon many of the points before, right? But they just, you know, keep divesting money out of the club. Training ground hasn't developed for 20 years. Commercial department was cutting edge, cutting edge in terms of strength and conditioning and sports science and the stadium. I mean, Old Trafford doesn't even have a screen. Every stadium has a screen nowadays. It's actually quite crazy. I didn't know that they don't have a screen but now when i think about it they don't have it <laughs> that was actually wild yeah. like you know these like small stadiums in sweden they still have like a screen where you can watch replays and stuff like yeah, that that's the thing. like well trevor doesn't even have that the ground is such an investment and it seems like the glazers they just have a survival mindset all they want is champions league money top four while they're competing against owners who want their club to be the best in the world we've clowned todd bowley a lot but he clearly wants chelsea to be a good football team Do you know definitely I mean? definitely and he's ready to splash the cash in order to make them that so 
So I think also that United, it, it would be fair to Manchester United because it's such a big club that they have owners who have bigger ambitions to, than to just be in the top four. That's the thing. And you know, really just need owners who give the manager the money they need. What happens if Eric Ten Hag doesn't get backed by the Glazers, right? Like he needs to be back in the transfer windows because I think recruitment is the number one reason why a football club is successful. Yeah, and also like you, you can see in this uh, transfer window how crucial it was for them to sign Martinez, Casemiro and players like that. You want owners who can give the manager and the club opportunities to bring uh, such quality that's the thing you know when United had the most successful period you know between like 2006 and like 9 11 when they won three Premier Leagues in a row reached three Champions League finals in four years United actually had a negative net spend which is crazy for a big club United replaced Ronaldo with Obertan you know, I think that says enough yeah do you remember that guy Gabriel Obertan yeah it was a long time ago since I thought about that man well, that was a replacement and that was while the Glazers were there right but people didn't think about it as much that's why Alex Ferguson was so great yeah exactly Obertan is actually still playing in uh, in the US in like the third tier is he? Charlotte Charlotte Independence oh shit damn didn't know that he's only 34 wow damn he was really young then when he when he was in Manchester he was only like 20 that's our Ronaldo replacement under the Glazers <laughs> <laughs> they had to just show like how terrible they are it'll be really interesting to see like how what happens over the next weeks there's a lot of rumors that something's gonna happen in, in April March or April well I'm sure we'll have some updates in future episodes on the sale of Manchester United yeah definitely I would like to push forward to um, moving on to uh, the Arsenal game because I think it was a crazy game. Did you watch it? Yeah, mate, I did. Mental. Yeah. Mental. I turned on the game right when it started and I just saw the way that Bournemouth made the kickoff. It looked like quite strange. You know, they just did one back pass and then they had this crossing to the right back and then it was a cross and it looked like really silly and then it was 1-0 to Bournemouth. Hey, insane. Remarkable. Second fastest goal in Premier League history. Yeah, it must have been only like, how many seconds? Like seven. I think it was nine. Nine, yeah. Yeah, it was crazy. It was such a well-worked goal. So shout out to Philip Billing and the Bournemouth staff for pulling that together. Another Dane is even like part of the national team. Yeah, he didn't make the World Cup squad, <sighs> which crazy. is insane. I think he should have. I mean, if you looked at how Denmark looked. Denmark was so Cup. far ahead of Sweden. I'm not even going to think about it I just get pissed <laughs> when I think about it but um <laughs> then I was also like you know when he scored like the second one yeah, you know right. like it's, it's crazy and also, also like shown like on what a good term Arsenal uh where they are right now and uh, what spirit the team has and also like you know this local guy Aries Nelson you know he grew up in the club hasn't been getting that much PT and then he comes off the bench and um, and gives the win right. to Arsenal amazing moment for him yeah it was emotional scenes, actually, because I, I don't think he has scored that many goals like for Arsenal that have been like decisive in the Premier League games or like big games for the club. I don't think so at all. If Arsenal go on to win the league, I think he's an Arsenal legend. I think that moment was just so iconic. The way the fans celebrated, I think that'll be a huge moment. A team that will win the Premier League, they have to have strength like this so they can win these even and tight games against smaller teams and to have that momentum to just keep on going and to have that, that you just decide that we're going to win this game no matter what. It's becoming a trend. We've seen it a couple times this season. We saw like with the 86th minute winner against Fulham earlier this season, 90th minute winner against United in January, 93rd minute winner against Villa just two weeks ago. Villa game was also like crazy. Two in the last two weeks. That's pretty impressive. Um, it shows they really have some spirit. Yeah. They are actually favorites now when it comes to like, uh, the odds of winning the Premier League, right? Yeah, they are. They are. I was looking at, I think, Bet365 and the odds, I think Arsenal were 1.83 to win it and City were 2.1. So they are actually favorites to win it. I mean, there's still 12 games to go. By the way, Arsenal fans and players are celebrating. It would almost be so anticlimactic if they don't win it. Yeah, definitely. Biggest choke ever if they don't win it now. Everyone's almost like expecting they will win this. But it's also like super impressive. I, I think that they have like the second youngest team in the league. I actually didn't know that. But it's like crazy how well their youth and their prospects have been performing. 
That's really impressive. Second youngest after Southampton. If you look at their front line, I mean, there's Martinelli, Saka, Erdegaard. All of them are super young. None of them are even like 25. And even Arteta. Everyone there is like such a young first team. And although they haven't won anything yet, I think it's a special team. You know, it seems like they've created such an intense bond with their fans. And you, you can tell like Arsenal clearly didn't expect to be in this position when the season started. And that shows the happiness, the anxiety, the abundance of joy. When you think about it, it's the first time for a generation of players and fans to experience the title race. Yeah, exactly. These uh, these youngsters have got like Arsenal fans to start dreaming again. For real. And you know, Arsenal fans have often been so pessimistic the last couple of seasons, but now it really feels like that cynicism has been replaced by optimism. And finally now the optimism is actually turning into belief. Yeah. Exactly. Now it really feels like they believe they're going to win it. Yeah. I still think City will, actually, but... Oh, you, you do? I still think they will. There's still quite a few games left, right? City play Arsenal again. So let's say yeah. City win that one, then two points. Yeah. And then also yeah. just have to join one game. Exactly. It's their title to lose also. And, you know, we've been talking now about, like, how impressive we are with the young players. You know how it is with young players. Sometimes they can be affected on things that's going on outside of the pitch. That's the thing. So I think it's still a tight call. Uh, but I'm hoping for Arsenal. I'm actually thinking that Arsenal is going to make it. I hope they will. I hope they will. Yeah, I have... I have a big belief in them. I hope so. Also, just those moments, you know, like the Reese Nelson one, just so they matter so much more and they live on for eternity. So I think the biggest threat is actually emotional fatigue. Everything just feels so emotional. And I feel there's a danger that when Arsenal get to the final games of the season, that they've already played, you know, six or seven cup finals. Yeah. Every game they're playing now, it feels like cup finals. It's exhausting. It's exhausting. Yeah, it's exhausting. And, you know, these players, they don't have that much uh, routine as maybe some older players got. So... Yeah, that's uh, that's actually the thing that can make it that can make them show. Yeah, good, and they have a tough end to the season. I mean, I think in April they play Liverpool, City, and Chelsea, and then in early May they play Newcastle and Brighton. That's a tough run in. Definitely, uh, they have to be a couple points ahead by that stage. Otherwise, I'm convinced City are going to come back. Yeah, because they, they're going to lose points in some of these games. They have to give themselves the opportunity to lose points in these games. Yeah, for sure. As we said, we, we both hope then that they will win it, and that moments like the the Villa game and also this Reeds Nelson goal will will matter um, in the end. Uh, I was actually reading on the topic of bringing joy, the joy Arsenal fans are feeling. Bukayo Saka, his name was actually chosen by his grandmother. It's a word in Yoruba, Nigerian language, and it means to bring joy. It does. Yeah, so it's, it's very oh. fitting, very fitting to what he's doing to Arsenal fans, bringing joy. Definitely. Beautiful. You cannot love that guy. Nah. What, what a role model. What a what a guy. When I look at him, I just smile. When I see him, I always think about this like clip that leaked this summer when he was like asking uh, David Beckham for a picture like he was some like fan. It was like so cute. I felt like I could be him because I'm such a big like David Beckham fan. It felt like me, like Mr. Beckham. Do you mind taking a picture? Yeah, <laughs> he's like a superstar, and he, he he was still like so humble. So that was also heartwarming to see. Man, what a guy! Yeah, definitely. But I think this is uh, Arsenal need to win this year because like next season, I think uh, all teams will be aware that that you have to count with them. And you know, every game that Arsenal plays like away from home, it will be a final for the smaller teams who face Arsenal. So I think it's also like this season is their title to win. You know understand yeah no question United are definitely going to be better next season Chelsea will be back you'd have to imagine Newcastle will be stronger City will probably be more on it again they've, they've kind of had an off season by their standards yeah exactly it'll be three nation states fighting it out at the top of the Premier League if Qatar end up buying United yeah <laughs> um, so I mean this is really the year to go ahead um, and, and win it we have our fingers crossed for ourselves yeah, yeah we do we do yeah moving on a little bit and talk about the games this weekend in the Premier League first continue to like struggle I think they hit the bar twice in this game 
game and it doesn't feel like it's their season and uh, it feels like now I, I read today that Conte is already in contact with uh, with Inter to go there and that uh, Pochettino is interested to come back to Tottenham oh, and sure. so on so it feels like this, this season for them won't be that good yeah it really feels like Spurs and Newcastle have shit the bed it comes to the top four like, I'm almost quite certain that Liverpool are going to get top four yeah I feel like that now and uh, talking about teams that having a, a better trend than what they used to have only like a week ago or something uh, it's Chelsea and Graham Potter he's been uh, he's been sweating a little bit I can I can imagine the Chelsea coach being named by Todd Bowley to build his own team and you know to create success with his Chelsea team he's been struggling but he actually had a great result against not a great result but he, he won the game against Leeds which I felt was a bit decisive they needed that win even though it wasn't the most confident one but still like they needed that win a win's a win yeah exactly and also like felt it was really important for them to go through in the in the Champions League and uh, beat Dortmund on Stamford Bridge the best I've seen them play in quite a while yeah definitely definitely I think we, we may also see a, a different Chelsea team from now on I think it can be like th- these two games were like super important for them to win. Now they can breathe a little bit more. The previous weeks has been media and writing about Graham Potter out every single day. Now it doesn't feel like that. Now it felt like he bought himself some time here. He's not going to get sacked while Chelsea is still in the Champions League. He has at least another month or whenever the whenever the quarterfinals are done. Yeah, and it also feels like, which I think is nice, it feels like Tottenham actually believe a lot in Graham Potter. The patience is there. They can't be losing all these games that they have been losing previously. I still think that he got the belief from the board and from the owner. That is beautiful to see in modern football because it's not that that easy. Yeah, it looks like it. looks like it. You can imagine if this was under Abramovich, you'd think that Potter would have been gone already. Yeah, exactly. It does suggest that Tottenham is a bit more lenient. Or maybe it's just because he sacked Tuchel for Potter, so he really has to stick with his man. It feels like this was... Todd Bowley's choice so I think it's also like personal for him he's the one that actually believed in Potter so I think that will also give Potter a few extra chances he's Bowley's pick so Bowley has to stick with him exactly and hopefully you know we've seen patience pay off with Arsenal sticking with Arteta yeah hopefully for Potter this is a huge turn for him yeah the trend looks like that now Klopp been in Liverpool for quite a while Guardiola been in the city for quite a while Arteta and then also the project with Eric Ten Hag United wanting to stay for many years I'm also liking that aspect that you don't like fire managers all of a sudden when you find the right one you stick with it even though maybe the results are not that good I agree it is nice to see a little bit of patience in the modern game yeah yeah I love it I love it and uh, talking about the coaches actually have a lot of uh, patience from the fans we're going over to Serie A now Milan they lost against Fiorentina you did oh shit sorry man yeah yeah it's like away from home lost 2-1 but I, I just want to wrap up with commenting on Roma actually beating Juventus at home yeah, I, saw that. I saw that yeah yeah Mancini's goal yeah yeah, exactly. Mancini scored, and then he also got like uh, Moise, Moise Keane sent off. He came on the pitch, and then uh, 70 seconds later, he got a red card. Yeah, he kicked. What was his name? Uh, Man- it was Mancini. It was Mancini as well? Okay, so that guy was heat of the action. Yeah, exactly. He was the mastermind in this game. He knew what he was doing. <laughs> also, like on Friday evening, Napoli actually lost the game against Lazio. It's actually on the Estadio Diego Armando Maradona. They actually lost to Lazio, which was quite a surprise. But they still are 15 points ahead. So I just think that this was also a small thing that I don't think it will affect them. Quaracelia and Osimhen Show will continue and they will most probably win the Serie A. They're 15 points ahead, 13 games left, clearly the best team in Italy anyway. It'll be a big shock if they don't end up winning it. Definitely, for sure. That was basically it that we had for this episode. As we said previously, we've been having a, a lot of like contact with the potential guests. We will have a really interesting guest in one of the upcoming episodes. So I'm teasing a little bit here, but it's actually an employee of a really big football club globally. Make sure to follow us. I just have to wish everyone a pleasant day then. See you on the next one. Definitely. Take care, man. Take care. Bye. Bye.